Welcome to This Week from the Principal's Desk, a podcast about Lutheran schools and their leadership. This podcast is hosted by two Lutheran school leaders. My name is Rob Lunak, and I'm the superintendent of Lutheran Neighborhood Schools in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And my name is Mike Scheman. I'm principal at Bethany Lutheran School in Parma, Ohio. And uh, Rob and I had a lot of fun in our last podcast talking about classroom management. And as we got going, uh, we realized, wow, we have a lot more to say about this because I think that topic is really broad and really vast. And so we decided that we were going to continue the conversation and make this classroom management part two. Now, we know we could have parts three, four, five, six, seven, and so forth, but uh, we'll, we'll try to wrap up a few more ideas about this topic in part two of our podcast episode. Um, I also know that there are some teachers out there. There's a lot of teachers who are truly masters in classroom management. I've learned a lot about what I believe to be true from teachers that I've seen using techniques that are just absolutely marvelous. So if you're a teacher or uh, an administrator or an educator, that has some great classroom management techniques. I would encourage you to drop some ideas in our show uh, notes and uh, feel free to reach out to either me or Rob because we would love to continue this conversation even beyond our part two of today. But we also thought that we would start this episode talking a little little bit about the students themselves because we know that classroom management, the goal of, of it is to provide an atmosphere for students to be able to successfully learn. And I think that one of the most successful things I've learned in classroom management is to start with the premise that students want to behave in your classroom. Now, you're probably you probably got a kid in mind, you know, little Johnny, little Susie or whatever that, that you're thinking about. Oh, they never behave. They never even show that they want to follow the rules. They're just that rule breaker or that difficult kid. But I would want to introduce you to that premise that your students want to behave. They want to follow the rules and they want to please you as they do it. But the job as a teacher in classroom management is to create the atmosphere for them to be able to do it. When students really know what the boundaries are, what the rules are, they feel equipped to be able to, to kind of play in the sandbox that you've created. Um, and that intentionality and that clarity from you as a teacher is really vital in classroom management. Because if students don't understand what the rules of the room are or what you expect of them, they're not in an atmosphere where they are allowed to behave, so to speak. Um, they don't know what is acceptable and what's not. And that can create a lot of chaos in the heart and mind of a student. And so if you are intentional with your classroom management, I believe you're going to have greater success in what you see from the students as you as you leave through it. Rob, what do you think about that premise? Yeah, I think that's right. The kids do want to behave. Nobody likes getting in trouble. Nobody wants to be sent to the principal's office. Nobody wants a note home. Nobody wants to be removed from the classroom. Nobody wants to be told they're doing something wrong in front of their peers. Kids want to do the right things. Sometimes they just don't know what those are. Now, every once in a while, you'll get a kid who just wants to do what they want to do. That is not the norm for a lot of places, for a lot of kids. And if you have a kid like that, there are other systems that fall into place, right? You run into the school discipline policy at that point. You run into principal office, suspension, expulsion, removal from school, right? For the very, very severe cases. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about how do you set the groundwork for a well-run classroom where kids have the opportunity to learn, they have the opportunity to have fun, where you as a teacher know that things are running smoothly. And that does start with you as a teacher, and I know that's one of those things we get new kids every year. We get sometimes different kids week to week, you know, okay, 
Tommy has a little bit of an attitude today. What's going on? If you're in the middle school, that's just, they, they are middle schoolers. <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're preteens and teenagers. That is how they are sometimes. And some of that is, you, you know, you take it and roll with those punches. But some of it is, do you have things in place so a kid knows what is expected of them? Because if you have a classroom that is consistent, predictable, repeatable, kids like to fall in line with some of that. It's comfortable, right? I know what's going to happen if I do this. I know what's going to happen if my peer does this. And for a lot of our kids, that's the big thing. It's less about them and more about what's going to happen if another kid does something. What's going to happen there? Am I going to be treated fairly? Is the consequence going to be similar? Can Tommy get away with whatever he wants because everybody likes Tommy? Or do the rules apply to everybody? And that's really the, the hardest bit. We talked on the podcast last time about fair versus equal. And treating kids fairly just means that it is predictable. So they know. And so it doesn't depend on your mood. It doesn't depend on, you know, the other kids in the class. I was talking, I know I'm going to get a check on the board or I'm going to have to sit at lunch or I'm going to have to owe a minute of recess, whatever it is, right? The kids really, really want to know. And the same thing is true for teachers. Can you imagine getting an evaluation on your classroom management or your teaching from your principal and you had no clue how it was going to go because you didn't know what you regraded on and they were wide ranging one day your principal comes in and you're the best teacher ever. The next day your principal comes in and you're the worst teacher ever. And that is hard. And what do you do with that? And how does that make you feel? Your kids have those same wants and desires, right? People in general want to know, how am I doing? How are we doing in a relationship? And where are we going next? Like, that's what everybody wants to know. Your kids want to know, how am I doing in my classroom? How's my relationship with my peers and my teacher? And what's going to happen next? And if you can plan for those things in classroom management things get a lot easier. And that's what we're going to talk about here a little bit in this part two is very specific things as we get into it. But Rob, at this point in the, the podcast, let me speak specifically to the administrators that are listening right now. Um, because there's a Facebook group out there that I'm a member of because I, I like to read the posts. It's called Life After Teaching or something like that, where it's a whole bunch of disgruntled teachers that are leaving the profession and doing other things. And, and I like to read that because I want to find out why are people leaving or what, because we know that there's teacher shortages and all this kind of stuff. And what people are saying over and over again is that um, basically their classroom was out of control and they felt that they had no support from the administrator. And if you are an administrator in a building, uh, it really is your role to be helping teachers out in, in all areas, but specifically with classroom management. And you're going to have some teachers that are struggling with that. We talked briefly about this in the last episode about about classroom management, but I encourage you to be visible and be present. And, and when a teacher is struggling or if you notice something, have the courage to have that conversation with the teacher. Let them know that you're not judging what they're doing, you, you, that maybe you saw some things and you could offer levels of support or you could even talk to other teachers, have them uh, reach out to people that are doing it exceptionally well. You can build other people up. But support your teachers by going in, figuring out what are their classroom management procedures, what is working and praise that. And then what's not and offer support for them in that role. Because I think if, if the admin is on board with the classroom management that's happening in each and every classroom, the students are going to be the beneficiaries of success. But uh, have your eyes on that, support your teachers, and don't let me see your teachers posting in the Life After Teaching Facebook page. I think that would be a win. Um, 
one thing to one thing to add there before we move on. If you have a teacher who's new and you know they're struggling, a lot of the time we want to give teachers because they're professionals a lot of leeway with things. And if you have somebody who is struggling on the basics, you can't give them that freedom. You have to say, I need you to do A, B, C in this order, in this way. It's like learning to drive. You go through the basics first. You don't just give a kid the keys and go, you're on your own. You'll figure it out. And sometimes with new teachers, that's exactly what we do. We feel, you've had all this training. We know that that training is helpful, but the real world day-to-day stuff is sometimes very different. And sometimes you haven't had a class on it. What do you do if a kid throws a chair? I did not have a class on what to do if a kid throws a chair, (laughs) right? What do you do if a kid just says no, and then their parents come in and they go, well, he doesn't have to do that. What do you do? I didn't have a class on that either, right? So some of these extreme cases we're not prepared for until they happen. And then you go, okay, now I learned, now I know how to do this. And so your new teachers, anybody who's struggling with the basics, I'm telling you, you can give them freedom later. But in that moment, you got to go, I need you to do X, Y, Z. It's triage at that point. I need you to do these things in this order. And then when you're comfortable with that, we can riff on it a little bit. Okay. You're not to that point yet. I just wanted to add that. Let's talk about reward systems. Because I think for a lot of teachers, that's kind of the first big step, right? You have your classroom management set up. How do you reward good behavior? What are consequences for bad behavior? Mike, why don't you start us off here? So yeah, I think a lot of teachers use reward systems and you know what? I get it. I've, I've seen them be successful. Um, typically the reward systems that I see always involve some sort of, uh, I, don't know, I almost want to call it a bribe, right? If you're good, I'll give you candy. I mean, how, how many teachers do something like that? And I think sometimes um, reward systems are a result of survival mode, right? I desperately need my kids to do this. And so I am going to reward their behavior. If a reward system is an indicator that you're in survival mode, um, you may need to reach out and ask for help. And that's an okay thing to do. Now, is I, I had one teacher who I deeply, deeply respected. And um, uh, there was a conversation with with her and with another teacher. This other teacher was using you know, the typical reward system of, you know, my kid raised their hand before they asked a question. And so I rewarded them. The other teacher, um, she said, but is that something that you would reward or is that behavior that you expect? So I think there, the, the point they were making was there's a line that needs to be drawn between rewarding kids for what you expect them to do versus rewarding kids that go above and beyond. Now, there are going to be some students that maybe have an IP or a 504 or some sort of behavioral modification where you need that reward system, little check marks on the desk or whatever in, in order to work with the plan that's in place for the kids. But I think you do want to ask yourself overall, do you want to reward students for doing what you for having them do what you expect them to do? I'm a big guy for rewards are the above and beyond rewards are, Hey guys, if this happens which is more than what i expect then we can then we can get into some rewards but as far as typical things like i raised my hand to go to the bathroom uh, i wouldn't reward that i don't know rob where do you fall on that on that thought yeah i think your rewards you need to have a purpose for them other than you're just rewarding a kid for things you want and the reward thing is interesting because the research we have says that the things you reward are the things get repeated, but if your rewards are inconsistent, that's actually a stronger reinforcer than if they're consistent, oddly enough. So, hey, 
thanks for doing that. And then one time you're not going to say thanks for doing that. Or you're not going to give them a reward for it. And the kid's like, oh, wait a second. Did they notice? And then you do it again and it extra reinforces it, right? And there are ways to do that. Marble, jars, class dojo. I'll hear sometimes, oh, well, being good is its own reward. We shouldn't reward kids. And my response to them is always, do you get paid for doing this? Isn't that kind of a reward? Isn't, isn't teaching its own reward? And we go, no. <laughs> It's rewarding, but I still need to get paid. I have bills. And so rewards have a place. I don't think we can say that there's never a point to them. And that's just not true, right? We know that outside of school, they do get used plenty. People get bonuses for work. People get uh, extra privileges for things. That's just how it goes. I will say that if you are a classroom that is entirely based on that. And if all of a sudden you lose your rewards, you don't have structure, I think that's where it gets into being a problem. Because I think they can supplement an existing structure to help motivate kids to go above and beyond more regularly until it becomes a habit. And then you need to say, hey, we can do this now. I'm not going to give you a reward for this anymore. It's like potty training your kid. My oldest, every time he went on the potty, for a while he got like a little matchbox car from my mom which is, we have so many Matchbox cars now. Now he can do it without a Matchbox car, so he doesn't need one. <laughs> so he doesn't get one anymore. And it's like that in our classrooms. Now you can do this, I'm taking this reward away, and you're still going to be expected to do it. Except now, if you don't do it, there's a consequence now. That's where the consequences come in. And all of those, that's where I think it gets trickier, because consequences will work right up until they won't. And then what do you do? And some of that, it's just a, a battle of wills, right? A kid's like, well, I'm not going to do this today. Well, it, you will never win an argument with a child. I hate to break that to everybody. You will never win an argument with a kid. But that doesn't mean there aren't still consequences for those things. Once a kid realizes, and here's the thing about school. If a kid just says, no, I'm not going to, you can't make them. They are right. You can't. And so what do you do in that situation? And that is an extreme case for sure, right? That is not the normal. So we might have to have an episode on the extreme extremes. <laughs> like I think you so. said earlier, there are so many things we can talk about. Uh, reward systems that I have used, class dojo, affirmations, and then kids really love pizza parties. Like, doesn't everybody love a pizza party? Now those... I don't think I ever had a pizza party in a classroom. I had kids always ask, and I went, ah, come on, that sounds like a lot of work. Because <laughs> it is, right? I didn't want to do that. But I've had teachers that go, you know, you were great. You can wear just socks in the classroom today, or you can have gum today, or you can bring a stuffed animal today, kind of individual. I worked with a, a teacher, Mrs. Gestrich, second grade, and she was fantastic. She was so good at this. She had so many individual rewards per kid all the time for fun stuff simple things like hey you were really great this week you get to read a book with a flashlight tomorrow i'm like what and she's like yeah they just put a blanket over their head and they read a book with a flashlight it doesn't cost me anything <laughs> and they're just sitting there reading and they they love it it's like the neatest thing she was so so good at coming up with little things like that mike anything to add yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, just to back up a little bit in what you were saying earlier about you can't make a kid do anything. Um, I, you're right. And I think we've all come across that obstinate kid. And if you haven't yet, you will. Um, one of the resources that I strongly encourage is love and logic. Um, because you can, you, you can 
devise some strategies of your own that will allow you to reason with kids. Yes, I said reason with kids, even the tough ones, even the ones that are in a mood at that time, um, giving them the choices where they think they're in control, but you really are. Um, one of the things that uh, rewards, one of the things I think we need to think about in rewards is I think the easiest default that I've seen for teachers to go to is candy. I'm not a big fan of candy rewards because um, if if you have a kid that has five different teachers in the school, maybe they have uh, an art teacher and a music teacher and a PE teacher and they're a homeroom teacher and everybody is giving kids candy as rewards, that kid is sugared up by the end of the day. And of course, one of the things we want to teach our students about is um, healthy eating and exercise. And we're directly going against that. I, I get it. Candy's a default easy and you buy the like, bulk bags after Halloween and they last for a full year. I I've been there. I've done it. But Rob, I love what you said about these rewards that are, are both free and they really involve nothing like the kid reading under a blanket. That's brilliant. Um, the other question that comes with this is if you're doing a reward system, whose job is it to pay for those rewards? Is that something that comes out of your own pocket as a teacher? Because you're already not being paid what you're worth. If you're listening to this podcast and in a Lutheran school, we all get that. And then to expect you to pay for your own rewards. But what would it look like if you went to your administrator and said, I need a $500 budget every year for rewards for my kids? I don't know that your admin would say yes. I'm not sure. So I think we could easily develop some sort of a list of free rewards that motivate and encourage kids. I will say, though, I don't think that list can be something that is is a broad stroke on a paintbrush because you get to know your kids and what's going to motivate one kid will be different than what motivates the other kid. You're going to have that one kid in your class that doesn't care how many pom-poms are in the pom-pom jar and they're going to act uh, like a difficult child just to mess everybody else up. Well, that's not fair. What is it then that motivates that kid? And so you may need to personalize and individualize your reward system. That's going to be a little more work, but just something that you, I think needs to be considered in this topic as well. Yeah, if you teach at Mike's school, you should go ask him for a $500 reward <laughs> budget just to see what he says. He didn't say no. He said he wasn't sure. So we should test that. We should find out. Bring it up. I will say <laughs> Class Dojo is free. It's free for teachers to use. And you can change the avatar on those. So I've seen teachers go, hey, when you get this many points, you can change your avatar. And that's just their reward. Like that's kind of it. And that works for them. You don't want to become overwhelmed by anything you put in place. If you aren't going to keep up with it, your kids aren't going to follow it. That's, that's what it is. You need to find what works for you as a teacher, and you need to find something that is easy, repeatable, and simple. That's, yeah, well, I said easy and simple twice. I, I've overcomplicated it already. <laughs> easy and repeatable. That's what you got to do. Mike, let's go into specific things that maybe we've learned along the way. And we'll just we'll just go back and forth here. So I want to talk about teacher voice for a minute. This is mm -hmm. one of my classroom tips. I do not have a teacher voice. I do not stand in front of the room and change how I talk based on kids. I'm this is just how I am. And some of that is it's a lot of work to put on teacher voice and be extra loud and extra gregarious and whatever you gotta do. And I'm pretty high energy in the classroom, so that comes naturally to me, but I'm not like adding anything in. And the reason I do that, and there's going to be people who say, hey, I got to do that and it works for me. Perfect. This is just what works for me. With middle school in particular, their energy level would oftentimes match mine. 
And so if I wanted a calm and quiet classroom, I would go in and I would talk just like this and I would teach just like this. And if they couldn't hear me, I'd go, hey guys, this is where the volume's gonna be. This is the level of instruction today. This TV has no volume knob. So today, this is where we need to be. And you change that day to day and activity to activity and based on what you're doing. But setting that expectation that I am the volume ceiling and you know, silence is the floor and that gives kids the range, right? I've seen teachers do this with stoplights on their room or a noise meter app, or if you have an Apple watch, it will actually tell you how loud a room is in decibels. So you can go and check if you wanted to. But I would say that your energy level sets the tone for your classroom. One caveat with that. And I've talked to my wife about this before. She'll say, oh, the kids are so loud today. And then I'll say, how did you feel today? She's like, well, I was kind of tired. I said, okay. Were the kids really loud or were you really tired? Because sometimes the behavior or the attitude or the level we take into the room does not match the kids. And then we feel like they were just so noisy today when really they were normal and we were just having a rough day, right? Our energy level wasn't prepared. Mike, what's a tip from you? Well, before I ask, before I get to a tip, do the kids know what a volume knob is anymore, Rob? Or oh, should we talk that's about buttons good, on the remote? That's <laughs> a good question. Sliders on the iPad. You're right. There we right. go. There we go. Oh, man. Um, one of the tips for me uh, from things that I've seen, too, is I've seen teachers use call-outs and callbacks like all the time. You know, I had one teacher that always sang that whole Red Robin, and the kids all went, yum. Uh, like all, the, all those kinds of things. You know what they are. Um, but I've seen it too, where those things become stale pretty quick and they be just become rote. And the, the teacher calls the initial call out and the kids respond and then they keep on talking. And so if you're, you're going to do those things in classroom management, make sure that they they remain effective. And if they're not remaining effective, it might just be something where you need to pause and have a talk with your kids and say, uh, you know, remind them of the rules because classroom management is repetition, repetition, repetition. Um, if you need to remind them and say, guys, when we say that, that means you're done talking and it's my turn now. Um, teachers, I think, need to stay in tune with that because it's really easy for them to do the call out, the kids to keep talking, and then they do the whole, guys, be quiet anyway. It's like, that's what we were trying to avoid in the whole purpose of a call out, right? So um, there's, there's a whole bunch of fun ones. Have fun with these with your kids. Have fun with your class. But continually, I think teachers continually need to assess and review, is it working? And if it is, fantastic. And if it's not, you got to change something up and, and, and review it again. One of the things I've seen is uh, wireless doorbells. So the teacher will put a wireless doorbell in their room. They'll put the little button on the lanyard and they'll, you know, they'll click that button whenever they want the class to be quiet. A chime will go off. You can set whatever it is, right? So that's a, a pretty easy one if you feel like, the call and response is maybe too embarrassing for you. <laughs> I will say that yeah. the, the kids do really get into it and they, they don't have to make sense. They can be very, very silly. And actually the more silly, the better a lot of the time because the kids are excited to do that and they'll pay attention to it. So that, that's a good one for sure. Um, whatever you're doing for feedback, this is another tip. It's got to be immediate a lot of the time because a kid won't stop behavior unless they know that it's wrong or that you notice that it's wrong. And I know sometimes a kid's just doing it to make sure you notice. Well, hey, you got to notice. Because if you don't, you're telling that kid, go ahead, make it worse until I notice. And you're telling the class, well, he can do that. He's special. He gets extra rules. He doesn't have to follow along with everyone else, right? 
And so your feedback's really got to be immediate. And that doesn't mean the consequence has to be immediate. Notice the feedback. Hey, I noticed that we're going to have to deal with that in a minute. So why don't you stop it here and then we can deal with that when we have some time, right? Real quick conversation. Or it could be a look. It could be tapping a kid on the shoulder. It could be a post-it note on a desk, right? There's lots of things. The feedback that, hey, I noticed that. Hey, that's out of bounds. You need to correct it. Or there's going to be a consequence. Or, hey, there will be a consequence. That's just got to be right away. You cannot let those things go. Think of it this way. You're driving down the highway. You are speeding. You pass a police officer. He does not chase you. His lights don't turn on. You get home. He's waiting in your driveway. And now he writes you a ticket. (laughs) Doesn't that feel a little unfair? You were still in the wrong, but it just feels a little unfair. And your kids feel the same way. So they need to know immediately what the feedback's got to be. Yep. Yep. I think so. I think my other tip, Rob, would be uh, public praise and private criticism. That as a teacher, if you praise the behavior that you are seeking, other kids will come alongside and try to exhibit that behavior. Now, I would think that some people might say that's easier to do in the lower grades, right? Well, Johnny, I like how you're sitting crisscross applesauce. And then all the other kids do the same thing. I would argue as a former middle school teacher, it works in middle school too. Even in eighth grade, I really like how Johnny has his graphing calculator ready to go. You know, And the kids are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But it matters to them. And so don't let the kids' demeanor tell you that they do not appreciate public praise. Even in eighth grade, they appreciate public praise. They just show it a little bit different. Um, we talked in our last podcast about part one about private criticism as well. If you have something that you need to talk to a student about, you want to make sure that you retain their dignity um, and do that in a private way so that there's no public humiliation of students. Um, that is the most damaging thing a teacher can do to a child is public humiliation. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, I've had to deal with that before, and it is never, ever fun. And, and teachers who say, yes, but if we show the whole class that this student was doing something they shouldn't have been doing, everybody else knows that they shouldn't have shouldn't do that either. I would say that is that is the most damaging thing to a relationship. So uh, be very cautious of that, but be very, very abundant with your public praise, even for eighth graders. Yeah, there. if you even wonder what that looks like, you can go to them and say, hey guys, I have gold stars to give out. And they don't have to be real. You just take your hand and you throw it and you say gold star. And the, kid, the kids love it. It, it does work. It, it works with adults too. It just does. Now a note on the, the public-private thing. The feedback part is important, right? So the kids need to know that there's going to be a consequence for another kid, but they don't need to know that that kid's going to be reprimanded. They don't need to know what was said. You don't need to tear that kid down. It's just, you know, there's some sign that you've noticed the behavior and you're going to have a conversation about it privately now with that kid. And that helps the other kids know, okay, there is something going on there. They don't need to know what, they don't need to know what you're saying. And that does retain that kid's dignity and then lets the class know, hey, as a teacher, I've noticed this. I'm going to protect all of our learning here. I'm going to handle it, but I'm going to handle it privately because it's not an issue with you guys. It's an issue with this person. Yeah. Right. And that, sometimes I think we blur that line and we go, well, I got I to gotta tell this kid, what are you doing? And, you know, no, you don't. You just, hey, can you step out in the hall for a second? Or we're going to have a conversation in a minute or yeah, post it, note, whatever it's got to be. Right. And that conversation then is private and that that helps you as a teacher because what are you going to do if a kid says something he shouldn't say because now he has an audience and now you have an audience watching you 
And so now you're in the situation where this kid escalated. So now you feel like you need to save face and you're going to escalate and then he's going to escalate back. And you just end up in a situation that you will not win. You will only lose. And do not argue with children. And that's so hard sometimes. I know, I know, but you, you're not going to win that argument, right? Not in a good way, not in a helpful way. Timers. This is my next tip. I love timers. I'd carry a little pocket timer around and I would set timers for everything. Hey, we're going to read this page. I'm going to set a five minute timer. Go. Right. And then kids know how long things are going to take. They know what they should be doing for your kids with ADD or ADHD. It creates a sense of urgency, which is actually really helpful because a lot of the time without a timeline, those kids won't do anything until it's the very last minute. So you've set a last minute timeline for them. Hey, this has got to be done in two minutes. There's nothing like a two-minute drill for a lot of people. Like, okay, I got I to gotta get it done. I really got to focus on this. And then you can add time. Oh, we're not done? Okay, here's another minute. You can do that. But it keeps the lesson on pace. It keeps your kids motivated. And it breaks things up into these little bite-sized chunks, right? So, hey, we have a half hour of free work time. Well, for one kid, you may have just told them they have a whole year to finish something, and they're not going to start it, right? But if you say, hey, I'm going to check in in five minutes, this part has to be done. I'm going to check in in 15, this part has to be done. You're breaking it up and making it a little more manageable. So kids won't tell you, oh, I'm going to wait till I get home, or they won't say, well, I don't know where to start, or they won't say, well, I don't know what to do. You've given them. For the next five minutes, you're doing this, and you have now three and a half minutes left, right? So timers, timers, timers. Well, and Rob, I think my, my last uh, tip and trick isn't maybe as more practical as it is theoretical, but I think it's something that's worth thinking more about, too. Um, one of the things that that can be really easy to do is if you have a class and you've got, let's just say most of the class is not on task. Most of the class is not behaving for whatever reason. Um, I encourage teachers to really focus and analyze on uh, corporate punishment for the whole class, you know everybody here is not on task. So you all lose your recess. Is that true? And, and as difficult as it can be, sometimes I really think that we do not want to offer consequences or punishments to students that are not engaged in negative behavior and doing class-wide punishment really will do that because there are going to be kids that are silently reading that are doing exactly what you've asked them to do and those kids can get frustrated really easily and then i think that can start to perpetuate bad behavior in those students as well well if everybody's going to get in trouble for this anyway i may as well engage in the behavior so one thing i i continually coach teachers on is making sure you're aware of the students that are engaged in good behavior and that they are not receiving any kind of negative consequence for being engaged in that behavior. Now, sometimes as a teacher, you do need to have a talk with the whole class and it's not going to be everybody. And you're going to make the comment, if you were involved in this, you know who you are. It's going to, this impacts you. Well, the kids that should know it was them are probably like, we're well, talking about somebody else. And the kids that it was not are thinking, oh, was that me? Um, you can also pull kids aside and say, hey, listen, you needed to hear that. We're a team together. This did not apply to you. You're, you're doing fantastic. Keep up the good work. Um, but be cautious with how you address the entire class, knowing that there are students in there that are meeting your expectations. So like I said, just more and more of a theoretical idea. But I think it's something that teachers do need to think about on a regular basis. And you can proactively plan for how you're going to handle that situation. So put that in your head and, and see what you come up with is my thought. Yeah, we talked about that in the last one too. That that's it's sometimes really tough to do. And something I just thought of, if you have a kid 
the whole class, maybe it's, you know, 90% of the class, you got two kids who are doing the right thing. Give those two kids passes to the office and say, hey, you get to go sit in the office, go, you know, tell the principal you're doing great. I just, you can walk out, right? And your principal is going to be like, oh, yeah, you got a pass for being good? And they're going to call up and they're like, is this real? And they're going to go, yeah, yeah, I just needed them out of the room for a second. I got to talk to everybody else. And they'll go, oh. Okay. <laughs> and, you, right, so. and you as those teachers get $500 for candy for your kids. For one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I, there you go. <laughs> well, I hope this has been helpful. I think I said last time we were going to work on a little handout thing. So I will, I'll include that in the show notes along with this episode. So if that is useful, use it. So much of classroom management, you got to find out what works for you. There, there is so much art and science to it that what works for me and Mike is not going to be what works for you in your room. And we are by no means experts. I do not claim that I am the best of the best of this. I think I'm okay. I think I'm not bad, right? But there are people who are way better than me at this. And like Mike said earlier, if you're one of those people, reach out to us. Yeah, We'd love to have you on actually so you can share that with everybody about the great things you're doing because we're just two guys. This is just our opinion on it and we just hope it's been helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, why don't we close off in prayer, uh, lifting up all the work that our that the teachers are doing. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you. We thank you for the students that you place in our care. Uh, Lord, we know that each one is crafted and, and made unique and special because you form them in their mother's womb and you continue to uh, walk beside them each and every day as they grow and develop. And I pray that um, you would be with the teachers as they uncover the little mysteries that make up these kids, the, the little puzzles that they need to put together to know what works. And um, I pray that you would give them guidance and strength because God, it can be a very tiring thing to do as we as we come each day and and we don't know what we're gonna face, but we know that we don't face it alone. And we thank you for your presence and your faithfulness to your promise to be by our side. Um, for those teachers that are struggling, I ask that you would uplift them and uh, provide connections for them where they can can receive help and resources. And for those that have this figured out, God, I pray that you would give them the confidence to reach out to others and say, hey, I can help you with this. I am here that you would use um, to the teachers that you've gifted with with this in, in spades uh, in, the, in the lives of others. Lord, we continue to ask that you would bless all who teach and all who learn. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of From the Principal's Desk. If you found it helpful, please share it with someone else that can help. If you found it entertaining, please leave a rating or a review. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a good week.